0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith of the Gobbledy Geek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are Eric Sipple and I'm Arlo Wiley. And each week we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series uh, Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episode that we're discussing tonight. Although I want to add a caveat to that and say if you're listening to us talk about Korra, I think we're going to assume that you've watched Avatar.
1: I think so, and I, I imagine we might make some reference to uh, The Promise, the Avatar graphic novel that we read last week.
0: Right. So, uh, so I suppose there are potential spoilers, there are likely spoilers, for Avatar The Last Airbender and the comic, at least the first so far, uh, graphic novel spinoff. But um, we will uh, limit our uh, Korra spoilers to just the two episodes we're talking t- about tonight. So um, this week we're, we're getting the bend back together. See what I did there? Oh, man, I'm done. That was worthy of me. (laughs) That was impressive. I I, I wanted to beat you to the punch, Arlo. Um, Anyways, uh, it's been 70 years since Avatar Aang and his friends ended the Hundred Year War and saved the world. And while they may indeed have had many further adventures uh, across the decades, Aang's time in the world eventually came to an end. And so here we are preparing to discuss the birth and rise of the new Avatar Korra of the Southern Water Tribe. But before we start talking about uh, tonight's episodes, we will be discussing the first two chapters, uh, Welcome to Republic City and A Leaf in the Wind. But before we talk about those, Arlo, now that you've finally experienced, you've gotten uh, your first official taste of The Legend of Korra, I want to see how it compares to maybe what you were expecting. Um, I think uh, over the course of talking about uh, Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, I'm pretty sure that we spoiled for you that uh, there was a time jump involved when we moved into Korra. So how does this play with maybe what was going on in your head, what you were expecting?
1: God, such garbage, (laughs) utter trash. (laughs) No, no. Uh, One, uh, because of the recording schedule uh, last week, it felt like it had been 70 years since we did one of these. Right. Uh, And I I had been very eager to jump into the world of Korra, uh, and I have to say, I, I don't know what expectations I had. Um, I just wanted it to be a good continuation, uh, or at least a good an exp- a good exploration of a new facet of the world of Avatar. And at least from these two episodes, I, I was very pleased.
0: Awesome. So you weren't... Uh, I, I've talked before about how the shift from Avatar to Korra was... A- a little bit of a struggle for me when I first saw the show uh, you didn't experience that
1: I didn't I think because you had prepared me okay uh, for it being pretty different in some ways um, I can see how it would have been a bit of a jump though especially because uh, like Avatar felt very much rooted in like uh, Chinese culture of like the the 1800s and earlier mm-hmm Whereas this is very much like, you know, industrialization yeah. has come to the world. There are, you know, it's all, bu- all,
0: almost steampunky.
1: Exactly. I, I, I want to say it's steampunk, but we see they have electricity. So right, right. it doesn't really work that way. But, you know, it's a very modern seeming city. Uh, there's, you know, gangsters, like classic Hollywood style gangsters. Um, and I love, and I, I, as of, since we're recording this, I don't know if you're actually going to play with this or not, but I love the previously on, uh, well, well,
0: the, the previously on that you've seen so far is not the is not what the previously on is for the rest of the series. Really? Yeah. No, no. He oh. saw it in
2: the second episode. That's what he saw. The second episode
1: had the previously on that Wait, with is the, right. the old timey radio announcer. Yeah. Oh, see, yeah. when
0: I watched it, it doesn't. It, it played both episodes together, and it didn't give us that on the second where did, episode.
1: Where did you watch it on digital? I watched it, it on Amazon Prime.
2: Yeah. Amazon Prime had it, had it. The second episode had the previously on.
1: Oh,
0: all right. Well then I take it back. You have seen that. I thought you were, <laughs> I thought you were talking about like the, the extended sort of sepia tone, uh, thing at the, in the first episode in the first chapter.
1: I mean, there's sepia tone in the previously on. Well, so at any, at any rate, it is, I, it I is one to... long Instagram filter of an open. <laughs> 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 no, but I'm really digging like the, uh, the twenties and thirties vibe of the show. Well,
0: at the, as of this recording, I have not yet decided I'm leaning towards not trying to do that. That would be understandable on the podcast. It is fun. And it, it, it's a challenge that, you know, it might be fun to try, but at least as of right now, I'm not expecting that to happen. So listeners, when you, it it won't be on this one because there's no previously on for this one, but, um, when you when you tune in next week, there may or probably may not be, a previously Look, on Cora.
1: I just want to hear your old timey radio announcer voice.
0: I, I almost played with that today. I, I considered experimenting and seeing how closely I could approximate. Uh, I think that character's name is like Shinobi Shin. I think that's the radio announcer's name.
1: Did not even know that was an actual character.
0: <laughs> it's the I th- it's the uh, it's the announcer or whatever at the. At the game, at the okay. pro ending. The yeah. pro thing,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, cool. Cool. So
2: one thing I do, I want to note, Paul, because you brought it up, and this is sort of meta about the world, is that the first time I watched Korra, I think I had sort of the same reaction as you, which was that I was like a little taken aback at how different everything was. Uh-huh. But one thing, I, two things really changed that for me this time, and and one is n- watching how industrialized the Fire Nation actually was in Avatar, which is something that I had forgotten.
0: Right, yeah. Just
2: how, how um, like ironclad ship level they were Mm -hmm. in that thing and then i started to do the math of 70 years and if you look at like civil war technology basically like the technology of the 1860s and you add 70 years onto that you're basically in the 30s at that point and we are in the technology of the 30s so it actually all matches up shockingly well it's just i think it's funny that like we're not realizing how fast modernization happened after the industrial revolution. And, and they followed that and it feels unrealistic, but that is actually the rate that we progressed at.
1: Yeah. That is, it's, it was really interesting having that realization. Like for, you know, for a few minutes it did, it really did seem kind of out of left field, but I was like, wait a second. Real realistically, if Avatar was in our world, when would that show have been set? I was like, Oh yeah, I guess. Yeah. I had 60, 70 years on that. We were, we were, you know, in past the industrial era.
0: Yeah. I'm not entirely sure that uh, it threw me off the first time because I, I didn't think it was realistic. I think it's just that I, you know, in the back of my mind, I just wanted more of Avatar. And then this is different from Avatar. So I was like, I, I don't want, uh, I want more Iro, you know, doing the previously on. I don't want a, a radio announcer. And what's with all these damn cars driving around? It was, I don't know. It was just a tonal shift that I wasn't quite prepared for. Now, but the interesting thing is in, like, real-time production, it was there were five years between the end of Avatar and the premiere of Korra. And over the course of those five years, um, I think it was three years after Avatar when they first started, when uh, DiMartino and Konitzko, the creators, decided, well, maybe we're going to do something else. And they sort of started dropping hints. Basically, leading up to Korra, people who were fans at the time were getting a lot of... Uh, like previews they were getting they were seeing like character sketches and so when people started watching Korra as it aired I feel like they knew what to expect like they already knew going into it there was going to be a 70-year jump and it was going to be a an industrial revolution type of thing so Uh, but when I watched it I went straight from the discs of Avatar to the discs of Korra and it was quite a quite a shock to my system it's different
1: you know, what's interesting is that um, I, I looked at the ratings for the series. Uh, the first season, like, the ratings were comparable mm-hmm. to Avatar, like, completely. And then there's like, a pretty steep dive after that, and, like, a, an even steeper dive in the third season. And I think I had known, like, as the show was airing, like, I had heard that it switched to online distribution only. Mm-hmm. But that, that's, that's interesting to me that, you know, even as different as it was, it like, maintained Avatar's viewership and then sunk like a stone. Now, obviously, obviously, I don't know what the show is going to be like going forward, but that's just, that's interesting to me. Yeah, it, I
2: mean, I think that some of this was that I, I don't think Nickelodeon knew what to do with the show, mm-hmm. and um, I think it was always very ambivalent about having the show on, because it just, I mean, I, we'll talk about this when we get to the episodes, but it is very clearly not the kid show that Avatar was, yeah. in, in overall construction. I mean, like, just in the overall way that it's built, it is not It is not as obviously a kid's show, and I just think that because of the nature of Nickelodeon not knowing what to do with it and the audience of Nickelodeon maybe not also knowing what to do with it, I'm not really surprised it didn't didn't succeed under those conditions.
1: Both of these episodes are pretty lighthearted, but – I could tell, and I, I'm not sure if it's just because you guys have told me that before, but I could kind of tell that even as lighthearted as these episodes were, the show does have a little bit more uh, serious of an edge. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, par- part of the tonal shift that happens with uh, the first season of this is it was uh, it's only 12 episodes, uh, which is half of the time that it, all the Avatar seasons had. And it was initially intended to be standalone. It was going to be these 12 episodes, and that's it. Um, And I I don't know at what point in production they realized that they were going to keep going with further seasons, but... uh, So so there's a lot of stuff, like the pace, the storytelling pace in this first season of uh, Korra will seem a little more frantic, maybe, than Avatar. Avatar had a lot of, like you know, village of the week episodes. <laughs> that that uh doesn't quite happen in Korra, I don't think.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that uh uh DiMartino and Konietzko wrote the entire first season.
2: Yeah. It's it's the same writers and same directors every single episode.
0: Wow. This year. I, I, I hadn't checked that. So it's uh uh Joaquim DeSantos and uh Ki hyun Ryu, I guess is how you say that. Okay. So yep. they did the Simple.
2: entire... Also, of the whole show and it's all um animated by the same studio too yeah. which I is mostly the case for um Cora though there is a bit of a, a juggling act in season two I think but mm-hmm. generally like this is basically the exact same team of people for the entire show
0: yeah
2: for the entire season
0: I mean um, so yeah I mean we should talk about um, the all of the changes the different um animation style the different look and all that but let's uh let's actually get into these episodes so arlo again you're the newbie we're going to start with you um and we can talk about these together 101 welcome to republic city and 102 a leaf in the wind
1: yeah um my first thought is as you mentioned last week there is no way i'm gonna ever say a leaf in the wind (laughs) without wanting to call it a leaf on the wind
0: yes i have it typed out in front of me so i don't uh (laughs) yeah
1: yeah um, but no, I, I thought this was an excellent um, introduction to the Legend of Korra. I haven't seen the first episode of Avatar since we talked about it, what it feels like many moons ago. Uh-huh. Uh, but I remember really liking the first episode of Avatar, and it might just be because I'm more acclimated to to the the general world of the show now. But I really loved the first episode of Korra, Welcome to Republic City. I thought that was a fantastic premiere. It introduces everyone that needs to be introduced. It introduces Korra as someone who, uh, she has like Aang's energy and the impatience that Aang sometimes has, but she's a lot cockier. Like she's very, uh, she very much embraces the fact that she's the avatar, I think yeah, the first thing yes. we see her say as like a five-year-old is, "I'm the avatar. You got to deal with it." Yep. Uh, which is a marked departure from how Aang felt about it, um, and I, I just love that it introduces the you know the, the concept of industrialization in the world. Uh, I was really impressed with all the groundwork it lays.
2: It it jumps so confidently into what it's doing, which I think is really, um, really easy to get taken in by in a good way. You know what I mean? Like it is avatar definitely felt like, um, I think that because they were doing something so new for American animation television, that it was trying to find a way of getting that plot across in this, they very clearly knew exactly what they wanted to do. They jump into it from the, the very first moment. And this is the first episode that doesn't feel like a pilot episode, but a first chapter, Mm -hmm. which is a very different feel and is super
0: effective for me. Um, I, it's interesting. This is the first time I've watched uh, these episodes after reading the comics, which, as as we mentioned in the last episode, uh, are, serve as a bridging story for this. So um, it's interesting. This show came out before that was written, but it still feels consistent with the whole so so the opening narration has the whole you know fire nation colonies have been transformed into the united republic of nations um the capital is republic city i mean it just
1: i think the reason it feels consistent is because uh they had originally pitched an animated um sorry of course it was animated they had pitched an avatar follow-up movie uh, that formed the story that would become the three comic series: prom, the Promise, the Search, and the Rift. And Nickelodeon declined. Yeah, right, I think I think you told us that before. I forgot.
0: So, well, that makes perfect sense then. But uh...
2: yeah, it, it, they definitely had done a lot of legwork on the middle ground backstory before they got to Korra, which definitely helps because it doesn't feel like a world that's like casting about for differences so much as a world that has changed in a very specific manner. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really love that. And I actually really love that we don't we uh, they use Korra so brilliantly in the very similar way to the way they use Ang, which is to introduce us to the larger world. We mm-hmm. get to experience Republic City, which is a change for us as the audience because we're used to the Avatar world mm-hmm. through Korra first seeing Republic City. So they very deftly use their main character as our entry point into the world. <laughs> and and that's i thought they did that really brilliantly
0: yeah they, they um they very wisely um i mean obviously they set out to make cora unique distinct from ang uh, she's she's a girl clearly she's a waterbender not an airbender she's 17 instead of 12 which is what Aang was when they started she like arlo already said she's more aggressive she's headstrong she's impulsive she loves the fact that she's the avatar um but the, the one thing that she shares with Aang is sort of the naivete of uh, the larger world because Aang was on ice for a hundred years. Korra is, has kind of been on ice. Like, Cora has grown up uh, secluded at that compound in the South Pole. She's never, like, she hasn't been out in the wider world before. So when she gets to
1: Republic City, she is seeing all of this for the first time just like we are. And even uh, in this first episode, her... Uh... Ideas and attitudes are being challenged because of how she was raised. She is, you know, to her, I think she even says this in the episode. Bending is like the best thing in the whole world, mm-hmm. and she runs into uh, the like the anti-bending mm-hmm. group who, uh, the... you know, a- accuses the they accuse the benders of oppression. Uh-huh. And Cora's like, "I'm not oppressing anyone. You're oppressing yourself."
0: That doesn't even make any sense.
1: And I, I think I, this whole benders versus non-benders conflict is really interesting to to bring into the show. I I'm really excited. I want to talk about these pretty
2: really fast. Um, like the the, ben, the anti-bender groups. So I think it's really a big part of what I like about Korra. But uh, I don't want to let the opportunity go by to say that it, Arlo, you have had a important crossing of the podcast ways at this point with the introduction of Genora, uh, who's one of Aang's grandchildren, who is voiced by Kiernan Shipka of Mad Men. Yes.
0: So yes. we have had a, an important that.
1: crossing of the streams.
0: Yeah. <laughs> wow, there's smoke a smoke.
1: It's in your ears. A Mad Men podcast still available on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> and there's going to be a one year later episode soon.
0: Oh my gosh, yeah, you're recording that later this week, aren't you?
2: There you, you can you it's can now to to that a little bit, but it's happening. Oh, okay, you can you can now talk about how you just you just uh, got to see Kiernan Shipka and her later in an important role. Later I in will. Your hey, career.
1: Well, let's let's use this as an opportunity to talk about the voice cast. Okay. So I think I've mentioned before that when watching a show on Amazon Prime, one thing I really love is that, all, like, if I hear a voice in a scene, I'm like, oh, who is that? Literally, all I have to do is like move my mouse, and the the X-ray feature will pop up, and will tell you who's voicing every character in any given scene. And that was extremely helpful. Uh, with Cora, because I recognized uh, on some level just about every voice that came up. Like from the very from the opening narration of the first episode, I was like, "Is that J.K. Simmons?" Yes. Like, is is that like a a sedate Vern Schillinger <laughs> I'm hearing right now? Oh and, God! Uh, sure enough, it was that. That kind of blew me away. The one that really blew me away is that Eva Marie Saint voices an elderly Katara. Yep. That is amazing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yep. That might have, I think that was the first thought I shared with Paul. Yeah, uh, yeah, you kind this. of
0: you freaked out a little bit in the DMs the, over
1: that. The voice cast in this is so much um
2: more uh, star-studded, but also, I think, also really good. Everyone is really good. Avatar had a great voice cast, but yeah. they pull in some serious people. I mean, J.K. Simmons is a main character in the show, too. It's not like they got – like, they always got good good stars, but they beat in for, like, an episode, generally yeah. speaking, in Avatar. J.K. Simmons is, like, a top-line person. And we also got – I'm pretty sure at the very end of the episode, Lance Hendrickson showed up. That's right. For for his his voice bit. So even Lance Hendrickson is kicking around. Yep.
0: Nice. And, and uh, I, I have not uh, I've not watched Cowboy Bebop, but you get to hear the voice, you get to hear one line of dialogue from the character Amon, who is the leader of that equalists group that we're gonna talk about. Uh, and he's voiced by Stephen Bloom.
2: The yes, the, the immortal Steve Bloom, who is all over anime and animation.
0: But but doesn't he do uh who does he do He on... does Spike Spiegel. Yeah, he does Spike, Spike Spiegel on Cowboy Bebop.
2: Yeah. Um you may also know him from Rebels as Zeb. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also as almost every single Imperial officer <laughs> in that show. Rand I uh, will ran, any Imper, any random Imperial there's like a 40% chance it's Steve Bloom doing <laughs> the, like like a, a bridge person or like a stormtrooper. He's all over the place. So Nice. Um but yes, oh. he is Amon um the the uh, the antagonist it is not um, a spoiler to say of yeah. this series um, nice. but um, so but I, okay so it's like don't uh, we keep like edging to talking about Amon and the, and the equalist but I don't want to get to them yet I actually really want us to talk about the characters first okay. because I'm really excited about it and I specifically want to start with Tenzin who yes. is I'm not gonna lie I'm gonna say right now he is one of the like my top three characters um, from Korra I I adore Tenzin as a character, and I hundred percent agree. And I am so I'm so I'm curious, Arlo how did how did you think about Tenzin? Like, what what was your read on Tenzin at this point?
1: I I really like him. I mean, one, it does not hurt that he is voiced by J.K. Simmons, um, but I think it's really interesting that since he's the son of Aang and Katara, he is the only Airbending master mm-hmm. in the world because obviously Aang was the last Airbender. Um, and I, I think it's very clear that he takes more after his mother than he does his father. He's a very serious man. Mm-hmm. He, uh, what? at least so far, but he does let out a, uh woohoo toward the end of the second episode, <laughs> but there's very little so far of the, uh, the ang like excitement and and energy
0: one of the things that makes Tenzin such a great character for me is that his constant struggle to be like his barely restrained frustration he tries to be so serene and and like zen master but he has three of the most precocious kids uh, you've ever seen Uh and he's trying to train cora so he he uh he doesn't manage to keep his cool very often. Like when uh when he's like, uh, don't bring my mother into this and yells for just a second and his head gets all beat red. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> he's he's so not Aang. He is he is so,
2: which I really love because the temptation would be to make him like Aang or make him an anti-ang in some way and it's neither he is just so very much his own person Mm -hmm. and you know we will we learn more and more about him as the show goes on so i think that um you know we we get a good amount of character development on tenzin and why tenzin is tenzin but i just i think he's fantastic and i love that he is there and i love his three children um janora icky and and the um, amazingly um impossible (laughs) deal with milo um, yes,
1: oh my god, Milo Mi- is amazing.
0: Milo's eyebrows are my spirit animal.
2: <laughs> Mi- Milo is so obviously like he's just gonna to grow up to be Aang. Like <laughs> he is he is that that was Aang as a as like a five year old or whoever old.
0: Unhand me, strange woman.
2: Yes, that was the <laughs> moment
1: that I embraced Milo. <laughs>
2: um but yeah, we, was, I love the kids. I love I love that and I'm pretty sure Paul, check me on this, but I'm pretty sure P- Pema, Pema, how do you pronounce it? Pe- Pema? Pema mm-hmm. is an
0: air acolyte, right? Uh, you mean a named one? Like, did they name her in the... No,
2: not from the thing, but I think that... Is, I I feel like that is where yeah. she is from. Like, he is married to an air acolyte. She's not a bender, but she is an air
0: acolyte. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm almost positive. Like, uh, I mean, we see... We eventually make our way... Well, in the second episode, we go to Airbender Island. Or, uh, I'm sorry, Air... What is it? That's it's it's Airbender Island, isn't it? Or is it Air Temple Island? Air Temple Island, I think, maybe is what it was called. Uh, And you see all sorts of um, what look like airbenders walking around. But, uh, yeah, those are all acolytes. They're not actually airbenders.
1: And uh, Pima, by the way, is voiced by uh, Maria Bamford, Mm. who is an amazing comedian uh, who has a new show coming out called Lady Dynamite. I'm I'm a big fan of hers. So I, I thought that was really cool that she voices Pima.
0: Pem is kind of a
1: restrained character for such a... She, she is, and Maria Bamford is not at all a restrained comedian. Yeah. So that was, that was interesting.
2: The, the other really great thing, about I think, about the beginning of Korra, and this shows its confidence level, is that we have other characters to talk about, but they don't get introduced yet, which I think is really great. Um, it is very focused on the characters we need for this episode, which is essentially Korra, Katara, and Tenzin's um, family. Basically, like yeah. that's basically the group of characters that we get. And I really love that it is not, it doesn't go out of its way to introduce every single person we're going to meet for the rest of the show,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which is, which is not really what Avatar did, but Avatar did introduce basically, cause it was a smaller cast, but Avatar's opening episode was like, here are the people you need to know. Right. And Cora is very much like, I mean, like there are characters we meet in episode two, which are arguably more important to the day-to-day functioning of the show. Yeah. Than even Tenzin, but we don't meet them till episode two.
0: Yeah.
2: No, so okay, and the other thing I, I I think we have to get to like really fast is Korra herself. We've like kind of talked about her in the abstract, but she gets the most amazing introduction of the like of her stomping in as a child, yeah. doing a bunch of firebending, and then it cuts right to a next level fight sequence mm-hmm. of her fighting against the firebenders. And I love that Korra is like the exact opposite of Aang, and that on a fighting level, she is just ace. She's mm-hmm. a fucking badass, and
0: she loves it.
2: And yeah, she she's loves the fight. Utterly useless at spiritual stuff, but an amazing mm-hmm. fighter. And that opening fight sequence. And I, Orlo, I know. I'm curious what your take on this is because I've been talking about how I feel like the fight animation in Korra is like working at a really top notch level all the time. Were you were you in, were you digging the fight choreography in this stuff? How did you feel about the animation?
1: Absolutely. In fact, I think the animation across the board, and it might be, it might just be the fact that it's been, you know, four years since uh, Avatar, but I feel like the animation is really uh, a lot stronger than the animation in Avatar.
2: Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, I think that they just have, maybe it's because they've, they're stretching the budget over a smaller number of episodes, but just generally this show looks
1: really good. Yeah. It does. It really does uh yeah this
0: this show also uses a lot of um this may sound like I'm damning it with faint praise, but uh it uses a lot of like computer animation for background stuff, especially when you get to the city um, but I, it works great here. The
1: only time that stood out to me was the like the the panels or whatever that she has to uh-huh, yeah yeah has to walk through in the second episode that seemed a little distracting but yeah otherwise yeah they use computer animation to excellent effect in the background yeah
2: yeah it definitely it's one of those things that it got good enough that they could just use it and i'm sure it was saving them a lot of money that they could use on character animation and it really shows because even on a character design level how amazing is core's character design i love her character design because she's a, a female character who does not who gets to be like she like, obviously has to be a tough character because she's the Avatar, but she has a big shoulder. She's broad shoulders. The, she has uh, big arms.
0: The the In the Art of the Animated Series book for this, um, which, by the way, the Art of uh, Avatar was a single book for the entire series. Legend of Korra gets a separate book for each season. <laughs> Just thought Very I'd nice. point that out. But uh, in that, they're talking about uh, when they were first coming up with the ideas for Korra, and they... Uh, when they asked the artist for some, you know, his first impressions, they were like, imagine that she is a uh, a southern water tribe version of like an extreme sports, like a like an X Games snowboarder or an MMA <laughs> fighter. <laughs> so they were like, we don't want a dainty, you know, fragile girl. We want, you know, we want a girl that looks like she can handle herself. Yeah.
2: she, And because of that, like she has like she I love I just love that she's like she's muscular. Mm hmm. She's she looks tough. And, and because of that, because she's not just like an average, like the standard badass woman waif, she's really distinctive looking and it actually helps play into she has a physicality that she carries in her cockiness mm-hmm. that comes through in that character design, that it's not just saying that she's cocky. She she has swagger.
0: Yeah, Arlo, how do you feel about uh, the cocky swagger of Korra?
1: I like it, I think we definitely needed a departure from Aang If this was going to be a different show We didn't need another uh, protagonist just like him And I think that was a really wise choice on their part Alright, cool By the way, since I've been gushing about the voice cast uh, Cora is voiced by Janet Varney Who uh, is on You're the Worst Mm -hmm. Which is an excellent show uh, that I love uh, and she was also on. She. I mean, she's been on a bunch of. She's been on a bunch of TV shows, a lot of comedies, uh, but she also had a part on Burning Love, which is perhaps the most underrated, and certainly one of the most hilarious comedies of like the last five years. So, and in fact, if you type in Janet Varney Burning Love, uh, the first video result is Cora's Burning Love. So I think <laughs> someone did a mashup. That's awesome. Awesome. She, her, uh, voice, her voice. is great.
0: She's really good as Cora. She is amazing. Yeah. Um, and uh, she she also provided voice commentaries for several riff tracks. <laughs> Things. That's right, uh, and, including uh, Footloose and uh, Poltergeist and The Lost Boys. Yeah. You
1: know, it's funny. We talked about the athletic physicality of Cora. I forgot that uh, her character in Burning Love was uh, a WNBA assistant coach who uh so the real quick the premise of that show is like it was like to take off on the bachelor all these women were trying to go after this man mm-hmm. she's very clearly not straight but she's in it trying to like win the money mm-hmm. and uh j- to show you how much of a departure this is from Cora the uh i, I found a gif of her saying job well done you crazy bitch
0: <laughs> well Wait, you, don't, you don't know where the show's like, going she may curse
1: that, that feels like something cora would say yeah. on a Nickelodeon show frankly <laughs> burning love is a really great show you guys anyway let's
0: let's let's move on all right well let's um let, there's one more uh, there's one more big character that gets introduced in the first episode that we should talk about but um let's talk about the city first yeah. so we go from like the first ten minutes of the show are set in the southern water tr in the south pole um so it feels very familiar um but then we then we move on to Republic City, which is uh, an eye opener for Cora and for us. So I am always not always, but now having seen Big Hero Six, I'm reminded of that sh- that film's San Francisco. Uh, yeah. Just the the blending of the two cultures. This is kind of so Republic City is kind of a a pseudo steampunk like uh, 20s era. I don't know New York meets Shanghai or something like that. So.
1: Yeah, I I think that's really interesting, and I can't remember if I actually mentioned this on the show or not, but I know that when we have talked about anime, one of the only anime series I've watched like a significant amount of is this really weird show called Bakano, mm-hmm. and th- that the setting of that like, and even to an extent the animation quality, like what really struck me was when she gets to the city, it really felt like. Like bacano to me, and that was a show with very, uh, what I feel, are very high production values, and like the whole, uh, like the, the the urban gangster world, mm-hmm. definitely like feels of a piece with that. I thought that was kind of impressive.
0: Um, I want to call out the uh, the Avatar Aang Memorial Statue that sits in the harbor. Yes, because it's a, such yes. a beautiful the Colossus of Ang. Yeah, the Colossus of Ang. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, that's what it is. I like it.
1: It's uh it's sad that Aang is gone. Mhm. Um and Katara says at one point, "My brother and many of my friends are gone." Mhm. And that like th- the room got a little dusty. Yeah. Yeah. I I old
2: Katara is really great um in the little bit that she gets in this because she just totally gets Korra on some level. And in fact, it's the entire reason we get her to Republic city. Cause she's like, yeah, fuck the rules.
0: Yeah. Just get out it, of here. That was, um, I have to assume it was intentional. That was kind of a little bit of a reflection of when, um, Katara and Sokka left their tribe. Like when they went to follow Aang, you know, their, uh, their grandmother, their grand grand caught them and, uh, and gave them her blessing.
1: Yeah. So yeah, this that's is a good
2: point. I forgot about that.
1: A little similar to that. It, it, it was really crazy hearing Katara referred to as Grand Grand. Right. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, and we get, and we we also get a brief moment, which I which I think of as like uh, Korra's. Binary sunset moment when yes. she goes out riding the first time on Naga. And by the way, I love Naga. Like on some Me level, too. Like, oh, of, course she, of course she has to have a pet because Aang had a pet, but Naga is amazing. Polar bear dog. Amazing. Yeah. Um, um, but I, I, her little ride out is, is pure binary sunset.
0: Naga's um, origins actually go back to the very first sketch. I think we talked about this when we were discussing avatar, the very first sketch that Brian Konetzko did when they were uh, planning out the original avatar was uh, a little robot with an arrow on its head, and like uh, a monkey and a and a polar bear dog, but uh, it was standing upright. And those characters were all mishmashed and adapted and became Avatar. But they never they always wanted to use that polar bear dog, but they never found anything to do with it. So here you go, a slightly less anthropomorphized version, but Naga is is great. Yeah,
2: and perfect for Korra. Perfect, yeah. the perfect pet for Korra.
1: Honestly, the polar bear dog is like my ideal animal. <laughs> it's an adorable dog that you can ride,
0: <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, and yep.
0: that could that could eat people's faces if they yes, can. yeah. Um, um, all right, so we're in the city. Uh, it's pretty it's pretty shocking. Um, but it, oh, go it, ahead.
2: And and we get the shock level by by dealing with Cora's. 100% inability to deal with city life.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: And she has no idea how to act. Doesn't know how to pay for food, goes to a park and has fish with a hobo yep. and then proceeds to basically man of steel her way yes. through a fight.
0: Yes. It's so fascinating. We've done podcasts recently on uh Batman V Superman and uh, Captain America Civil War both films that deal with like collateral damage from superhero battles <laughs> and then here in Korra we get uh, a, albeit a much smaller scale but she's called out the cops show up and they're like she's like well I stopped the bad guys and they're like well you also tore up this city block so thanks for nothing. We're
1: just a few civilian casualties away from the Republic City Accords <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about those cops, and then the
0: character that eventually that w- that we meet through them. Um, yeah. Arlo, what do you what do you think about the metal bending cops?
1: I thought that was really cool that metal bending uh, plays such a big part, um, especially after in the Promise. Which, if you're listening along and you haven't yet read the Promise, it's pretty great. Uh, after metal bending plays such a huge role in that. Um, And I think it's interesting. Um, My initial uh, response was to say that, like, I don't know how I felt about Toph's legacy being, having been so influential on the police force, Mm -hmm. like, uh, of law enforcement. But it kind of makes sense because Toph's, Toph's, like, greatest passion was yelling at people and telling (laughs) them what to do. So, I suppose it makes sense that her daughter is like, is she the chief of police? Yes. Not the ch- is she the chief?
0: Yeah, she's chief. she introduces herself as okay. Chief Beifong. Yeah,
1: okay, okay you're, right, yeah. you're right. Yeah, so her, that her daughter Lin becomes the chief of police, I, I, I suppose it makes sense in a way. Though she, she much like Tenzin, does not seem to have um, her mother's sense of humor.
2: <laughs> it, we are, we are going to get um a, just like we'll get a lot of background on Tenzin, we actually get a fair amount of Bayfong background which i think you're going to love when you get there arlo but so okay. we will not have to um hand wave Lin Bayfong's backstory forever okay. we will get we will get stuff i don't know if it's this season or not but they will they we get more of of Lin Bayfong um although i don't know if you need much better Lin Bayfong than um, her giving the like I'm watching you to Korra And then Korra giving the yes. I'm watching you back And when Jai yeah. Fong's reaction being like what the fuck does that mean Yeah exactly <laughs> Man
0: I, I, I wanted i wanted Sokka to pop up And say
1: water drop <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um All right. So
2: yeah, but I I just love what I really love about the metal bending police is that it's not just that they're metal bending. Again, there's this massive leap in into in like innovation and how metal bending is being used. Mm -hmm. The like Spider-Man cable thing that the metal benders are using is just a cool idea.
0: Uh, It's it's awesome. It does. I was going to talk more about this when we got to the next episode, but I'll I'll mention it now. One um, very minor. It's not really a nitpick because I I don't think it's a mistake. Well, maybe it is. I don't know. One very minor quibble that I have uh with this series is the subtle move away from bending being tied to like martial arts styles. Um like the and they did it on Avatar too. So I'm not saying this is unprecedented, but I I loved the fact that in Avatar for the most part any bending was accompanied by like martial arts moves uh, and, and various styles and katas and all that. Whereas here, like the metal benders, they just like, they whip those steel cables around. And I don't know, it bending seems more like just a superpower now and less like a, a sort of mystical fighting style or what have you.
2: There's a practicality specifically to, the metal benders. I agree. Like, I actually think that that is, I think, I wonder if that was intentional on their part mm-hmm. because um, we still get a lot of like very specific Kata ish feeling to most of the other bending yeah. going on. Yeah. But metal bending definitely has a utilitarian quality when it comes to the police that is different for other things. Yeah. And, and, and very effective because they just totally house
0: Cora. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're cool. I love those guys.
2: They're, um, they're awesome. But yeah, Cora, get yourself arrested. And, um, and okay, and does and that whole her whole like a jaunt through the city gets us to the equalists. And I think we can't go any further without at least talking about the equalists. Okay, a little bit. Because this is a big deal. I feel like this is a big drop in in terms of cultural stuff in the world. How do you feel right now, Arlo about the equalists? Like, what is your takeaway from the equalist idea?
1: I feel like there's not a lot I can comment on yet. They don't pop up a bunch in these episodes, but I really like the the bending non-bending conflict. I think that's a really interesting idea, and I'm looking forward to seeing how the series explores it.
2: It it opens up a something that we took for granted in the last series, which is that well yeah, sure, bending is is the important thing. That's the power source. Mm-hmm. And now we're getting to a point where a when you start when you don't have the fire nation demolishing the entire world you have time to think about the fact that like just because I'm not a bender doesn't mean that I don't deserve power and ability and and the and chance to succeed too and you also have technology that on some level equalizes the playing field a little bit between benders and non-benders you know even we were even getting this a little bit the fire nation technology at the end of avatar was a mixture of technology and people doing bending. But just because the war balloons had people shooting fire out of it doesn't mean you needed people literally shooting fire out of those war balloons. Right. There's a lot of things you can do out of a war balloon that does not involve a bender. Mm-hmm. So I like that I think at some level like what started at the end of Avatar has opened up the world of the possibility of people being like, okay, well, we don't need benders for everything
0: anymore. Uh, but we see an interesting... so. Arlo, you're right. You haven't really gotten a a, much of a taste of the equalist yet, but uh, this first episode does sort of set up the dichotomy um, where, I mean, we see, we're shown that there are homeless people. I mean, we meet a hobo in the, in the park and he, he says that, yeah, there's, there's plenty of homeless people here. Welcome to Republic city. Uh, Not everything here is hunky dory. Uh, And the gangs that we see like the uh, triple threat triad, that we run into they're benders and they are, you know, extorting non benders. So you get the impression that even though our experience from avatar, the last airbender was that hey, benders are awesome. Benders saved the world Um, in this big city where everybody's living in close quarters. um, Yeah. They, they may have a legitimate
1: beef. Look, just give them all meteor swords and they'll be fine. (laughs) There you go. Yeah,
2: I'm a fan of the idea of equalist. I was I remember watching the first time. I was really excited by the idea of it, even though it's pretty obvious that um, Amon, who we get briefly introduced to, is not going to be a pleasant individual. He's mm-hmm. got a mask on, which is anime shorthand for crazy motherfucker, <laughs> and um, and uh, yeah, and he's talking about accelerating his plans like almost immediately. So we know we're going to get a, a, a antagonist out of this. But what I like is that there is a. Culture. It's easy to sympathize with the cultural inclinations of non-benders feeling like they're being run down, run over Mm -hmm. by benders. Mm -hmm. So I really dig that we get that seated right out of the gate here. And Cora gives them every reason to feel why the way they do because she utterly fucks up that interaction.
0: (laughs) Yes, and she gets her "I am Iron Man" moment.
1: To yeah, that was really interesting to me. That now we have a world. You know, since the the Fire Nation is not trying to destroy everything, the Avatar doesn't have to be in hiding, and instead holds a press conference announcing that she's in town. Yeah.
2: Yep. And and I mean, and, and we lead up to it with the idea that Republic City has gotten a little worse off because we've been Avatarless for a while, yeah, and we once yeah. again kind of see the the danger of a world without the Avatar to help keep the peace. Mm-hmm. And now she's here, and it is just an official duty. Like, yep, we were waiting for our next Avatar, and we have a bunch of questions Could we have a new news organization to ask what you're going to do as the Avatar, and here come the questions. So I really like the way it's just part of society now, that 70 years of no massive wars and having Ang have been around for a long time means people are ready for an Avatar to be there and treat them as a part of society.
0: Well, and plus it's common knowledge that... Uh, or I, I assume it's common knowledge. I got the impression that it's common knowledge that this city... Was founded by uh, Avatar Aang. Like this is his and Zuko. Like this is his dream. This city was his dream, and his his son Tenzin is trying to make sure that uh, the city lives up to the dream that his father had. But uh, so I feel like people are aware that uh, you know this city is tied into the whole Avatar thing. Yeah. Um, uh, One last thing I want to mention about this episode before we move on is. uh, in light of my reaction to the uh, to Aang's new glider that he got in, in book three of Avatar and all of the technological advancements that we see in Legend of Korra, it pleases me tremendously, more than I can explain, that uh, Aang's grandkids all use the old style of glider. Yeah, I didn't notice that. That is a great point. <laughs> it's like, God bless you. <laughs> I love you guys. So... Um anyways, anything else before we move on to a leaf in the wind did you no. notice did you notice the top statue in front of the police station? I did not no i missed that yeah when they when they first cut to the police station, it shows a statue out front and it was it was tough
1: are they all dead like i mean you don't you're gonna, answer. You're gonna, you're gonna you're
2: gonna find out what's going on with everyone we will I really hope. we will know we will know the state of all of our favorite people by the end Whether they are past or not We will
1: know I just hope they're not all dead <laughs> Well Katara's not dead That's very true Okay you can answer this for me I don't think this is a spoiler Do we get more of Eva Marie St. Katara?
0: Yes we do
1: Yeah. Okay that's cool All right. Well, How let's... much do they have to pay Friggin' Eva Marie St. To do a voice on a Nickelodeon show That's it's insane. I don't,
0: I don't know. On the one hand, you'd think, yeah, she probably comes with a pretty high price tag. But on the other hand,
1: it's it, it has been like sixty years since uh, on the waterfront.
0: It's it's voiceover. Like she comes in, she says a few lines in a room. She doesn't even have to get out of her pajamas. Whatever. It's true. But it's true. It's good work if you can get it, I suppose. Uh, one so, of us here is a voiceover actor, by the way.
1: Um, I, I I have done. Voice acting before, not on television, no, but uh, uh, no, but I did do a, a few uh internet like audio dramas several years back. I would love to do more of that if you're listening and would like to hear <laughs> this voice do other voices for your show, let me know
0: hey you you provided uh, a voice you you read a line or two in a, a major motion picture that may
1: maybe major motion true. picture that is true, putting it too uh, highly but Please uh, check out Joseph William Lewis's upcoming film *AV* just for that one, like five-second bit where you get to hear my voice. It was stunning. It was stunning.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. On that note, uh, take us into *A Leaf in the
1: Wind*. Um, yeah, I thought this was another uh, great episode. And I think it continues to show the difference between Cora and Aang. Like Eric said, she she's great at fighting. She's not so great at the spiritual stuff. She uh, has no patience for meditation. That was a great she, scene. I love that scene. She winds up burning down the 2,000-year-old historical like panels? I don't know what to call them. Mm-hmm. Uh she she sets those on fire. Uh and then there's that great bit where like Milo is destroying the, the rebel. Yeah,
0: daddy, you're a terrible teacher. Ah! Oh my <laughs> god, I love that kid. I mean in real life I would
1: kill that kid, but So great. So great. And I really loved uh pro bending.
2: Oh, how like, cool is
1: pro bending, man. Yes. I was really impressed by that, not only because of course there would be pro bending mm-hmm. uh in this world, but also because it actually Makes sense as a game, like it has clearly defined rules. And I, I, th- I just thought that was really cool.
0: This is another element of Korra that, on my first viewing, I was a little reluctant to accept. Like, for some reason, at the time, I hadn't yet uh, developed a love for football, so I was still like, oh, sports ball, uh, who cares? Um,
1: <laughs> how okay, quick question I get, how long has it been since you started watching? these shows because it feels like football has become an important part of your identity. Um, I don't, I think,
0: I think I first watched Cora three or four years ago, maybe. Okay. I don't, I don't know, but I certainly wasn't as rabid about football at the time, but regardless, it was I, distinct,
1: just... I distinctly remember five years ago uh-huh. visiting you in your home and sitting in the back uh doing anything else but looking at the television while you guys watched a football game
0: <laughs> you're welcome you're welcome for that yep. a- at any rate, the point is the pro bending bringing uh, sports into this for whatever reason when I first watched cora that was uh, that was just one more thing that was seemed like you know a shift too far for me. It took me an episode or two maybe to warm up to it. Now I absolutely love it. I love the whole idea of pro bending. I love the way that they represent it. I love trying to figure out, you know, the rules of the game and the strategies that the different players use.
2: I I love that. Like it introduces and very, very specifically because Korra wants to learn from it, a variant on what we think of as the fighting techniques. And Mm -hmm. we get the idea that just because you have fire bending doesn't mean there aren't variations on firebending techniques Mm -hmm. um and i love that that like cora wanting to learn more modern files of fighting Mm -hmm. is part of what attracts her to pro bending and it is a much more like straightforward efficient form of fighting yeah for all of them
0: which i think is pretty neat and it also it's pretty subtle at this point I, i actually don't remember if this becomes a point that they you know, that they make on the show or not, but subtly it's another reminder of the sort of elite status of benders. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously non-benders can't participate in this sport and these guys are, are celebrity athletes because they're benders. So
2: it's, it's a really cool sport. And one of the things I really think is interesting about the way that it's developed is that it is built around the fact that there really are still not airbenders. Like the rules expect, a fire, earth, and a waterbender. Right. There is no room in the game for an airbender because there is one airbender in the world. And so I think it's interesting that it's a very like keen reflection of the status of bending in the world mm-hmm. as it stands right now. Yeah. So, uh, But it's, a, it's also just a cool sport to watch play. I really like it. I really love the idea of it. And I agree with you about um, Arlo and Paul both that it's cool that it has rules that you can follow and thus can get into the game <laughs> while it's going on. Yeah. Um, which which does introduce us to two new characters yeah. our are um, our, uh, Saka brothers of this um, <laughs> the series uh, Mako, which a great a uh, great a great tribute of a name Mako yes. and yes. Bolin. Yeah,
0: yes. so, which uh, I mean Bolin is is obviously the new Sokka. Mako is almost a Zuko, <laughs> not not quite Zuko, but he he's the more. Uh, He's the sterner or whatever He's the, the groucher of the two Bolin is the goofy, fun-loving one
1: And voice actors uh, Yeah. Bolin is voiced by PJ Byrne Who is a uh, character actor Who's popped up in a bunch of things Especially comedies um, I know him best from The Wolf of Wall Street mm-hmm. Where he played uh, Rugrat Koskoff And uh, David Faustino Voices Mako Fucking Bud Bundy. <laughs> that's right. It's on the, the Legend of Korra. That's that's interesting. Yep.
0: And even knowing that, when I when I watch the show, I don't I don't hear his voice. Like I, when I watch Mako speak, I, I'm not picturing David Faustino. So, uh, you know, if you go online and you watch videos of the voice actors, like those three in particular, they, they did a lot of convention appearances and stuff. Uh, Janet Varney, David Faustino, and P.J. Byrne. Um, and so if you ever like see footage of them in the recording studio or whatever, uh, Janet and PJ, I-, I guess it looks like their voices are meant to come out of their mouths, but Mako to me does not sound like David Faustino. maybe because Agreed. he, he will forever be, uh, uh, whatever, uh, bud, bud Bundy, bud
1: Bundy. Thank you.
2: Yeah. I, I, I what did you think of, uh, Mako and Bolin in this initial introduction, Arlo?
1: I like them. I, I like them. And I think it's interesting that uh, at the end of the episode, she says, I kind of permanently joined the fire ferrets. <laughs> so clearly they're going to be a, an important part of the show going forward. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Not a, a, an accurate read. They are. Um, we have now been introduced to a good chunk of what would, what would be our, our gang gang, our guess, our core gang in this case, whatever their the name, we Club. the core, the core or oh, something. God. Yeah. So we have gotten a good chunk of them um, at this
0: point. Team and... Avatar 2.0. Oh,
2: oh by the way, speaking of voice actors, I just want to quickly note that um, before we forget, Lynn Beifong is voiced by Mindy Sterling, mm-hmm. um, who has been in also a million things, but is most perhaps memorably, for me, uh, Frau Farbitsina from Austin
0: Powers.: <gasps> Oh wow. You're absolutely right.: She's
1: didn't... one of those actors that I recognize, but I'm not sure I could like I, I couldn't name anything that she was in, so that's cool.
2: Yeah, she's just been, she is a, a, like, A-level character actor, basically, and very funny. But, um, so she's, she's Lin. But anyways, she's Lin in this episode, so we can go back to uh, A Leaf (laughs) in the Wind, where where we get uh, really some serious airbending training, which I like because we complete the cycle that Avatar did not with um, water, earth, and fire, Mm -hmm. and now we get why this is called air, and it's because Korra cannot learn airbending. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She sucks yep. at it.
0: And it's hilarious. Yeah, and it's hilarious. Uh watching her even though Arlo you you called it out for looking a little CGI um watching Cora get her ass kicked by the spinning gate challenge or whatever I love it. Especially uh, the kids like telling her just don't don't fight it and and one of them's like dance dance like the wind and then Milo's like be the leaf. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And then, of course, she nails it at the end because she's uh, she's learned so much from the the pro bending. Mm-hmm.
2: That's a great moment when she starts using the um, the circular air bending techniques to dodge. Mm-hmm. Very very cool, um, very cool moment for me. I had forgotten about that. I I was really in, into that that little reveal of that, which does lead to Arlo, what you noted, Tenzin's woohoo, yeah, bump, which is great. Um,
1: one of my favorite exchanges in this episode is when Cora is trying and failing to meditate. She says, I think I'm doing it wrong. And Tenzin's like, there's nothing to do.
0: My, my favorite part of that was when he, he's like, you know, you just, uh, just relax. It'll come to you. It'll, it'll click eventually. And then they go back to, for like two seconds, the music comes back up and they go back to meditating. And all of a sudden the music cuts and she's like, yeah, it's not working. I'm going to go get a drink. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um
2: a, a last little bit of um of voice acting that we should call out is D. bradley baker is back um as naga and oogie we will hear him in other voices because he is the go-to animal voicer yeah. of of the series but um i oogie is a great name for an air bison by the way I, just, <laughs> there, I think i wanted to note this just to mention that there's an air bison named oogie
0: yeah um it's a, it's a crazy name I mean I guess it's no crazier than Appa But um, I just I love the idea that that's probably a name That serious uh, You know super serious Young Tenzin came up with Like he was I could just imagine this little Imagine Tenzin when he was like Milo's age being all serious And going I will name you Oogie <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: Actually one other voice actor I wanted to call out uh, was Steven Root yeah. Uh, the great character actor Stephen Root uh, voices two roles in the first episode. Uh, he plays the White Lotus Leader and the uh, Hobo in the park. Mm-hmm. That was Stephen Root. Yes. Both of
2: those.
0: And the phonograph vendor. So three, actually.
1: Oh, okay. There you go. Fantastic. By the uh, way, does Republic City have a homeless problem?
0: Well, I mean, the hobo implied that it does. Do we?
1: Does is that revisited at all? Because that would be an interesting uh, angle for the show to tackle.
0: I mean, I I'm,
2: I, not, I'm I, not sure how much they get into like the economic class stuff in, mm-hmm. or I I honestly can't remember right, to be to be honest. I um so yeah we'll we'll see. I'm not sure.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, let's see what else have we got here. Um, I don't know what else I have for this episode. Um, it. it-
2: it's this is actually tough these are probably I, I think I underestimated how difficult it would be to talk about these two episodes because we've had the same characters for like months of podcasting yeah and we actually have to like seat ourselves in with a million new characters in a new world and there's all this like setup stuff to talk about yeah which is good we need to talk about it but it's also tough because I gotta be honest watching these two episodes raised my spirits so much. I was so excited to be watching these that I well, it's kind of hard to communicate that. Over the um, need to discuss like the details of what the fuck is going on in <laughs> Legend of Korra, but I was so excited watching these. I know that I've said that I'm a huge fan of this a couple times. I wasn't sure what I would think, you know, getting back for the first time to watching this. I am, I was just buzzing the entire time. It's just such a neat setup. It's a neat world. I love Korra. I love all the stuff. I love the pro bending. I love. I love the um, airbending. The Iraq-like guards, like listening to a radio sports <laughs> yeah. broadcast yeah. at the guard station. Like, there's just all these wonderful little things, just kind of like at the margins of this world that I think are are fantastic. And
0: I, I and love, I love insane. the, I love the team names that we get in pro bending. The fire ferrets, the golden temple tiger Dillos, the platypus yes. bears. I love. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I love that stuff. Uh, also, um
2: i uh, just when I put a note a pin in this for Arlo. Note that the that they call the um cars there are sodomobiles. Is that because I might write about
1: that? Yes. Sodomobiles, yeah.
2: We we will we will get into that later, but I just wanted to make a put a pin in, in sodomobiles for uh okay. for for later discussion. I don't think it'll be that much later, but
0: um Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, a, an important thing that we kind of glossed over is the fact that this is our first look well i mean unless you count uh the promise the the graphic novel that we discussed last week um this is our first look within the show at a family of mixed benders uh, we've got the two brothers and one is a firebender and one is an earthbender so yeah uh, that had not happened before
1: um so how'd you feel about that it felt, uh, especially after having read that graphic novel, it felt very natural. Mm-hmm. Like I was really impressed um, with, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, they, they mentioned the how the firebending colonies grew into you know this city, and then we see the, the mixed be- uh, bending families. I, I yeah, I, I really like how the culture has clearly progressed in the last seventy years of story. Cool. Got a we've got a very exciting world to dive
2: into now, and I, and we will not, luckily um, next week. I'm pretty sure we start getting into more um, equalist stuff, so we'll be able nice. to start discussing them in a little more detail. Um, the, the it's obvious already that the pacing is just totally different in this show from Avatar.
1: So another difference that I noticed, at least in these two episodes, there is some great humor. In these episodes Because the show does have Just a little bit more Of a serious bent to it I think the humor Actually uh, It's too early to be making This kind of judgment call But I think the humor Kind of is mixed in A little better Whereas Avatar Threatened to get Too silly at times Because I mean It's it was, it's a kid show um, This felt like a more Like organic Balance. Mm-hmm. This felt like Avatar at its best. How Avatar juggled the the comedy and the drama.
2: There's no, there's no like awful, nightmarish Momo dance music. <laughs>
1: I, I loved that though. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, oh, did you notice? Um, we only saw it for a brief second on uh, on uh, air. I can't even remember what it's called, air but yeah, whatever. Uh, we saw a flying lemur. But it was a ring-tailed flying lemur.
1: I did not notice that. It was a
0: different species of flying lemur. I just wanted to point that out. Because wow.
1: Mo- Momo did not have a ring-tail. Does that mean Momo's dead, too? God damn it, you guys.
0: It's 70 years? Wow, how long do you God. think... Damn it. How long do you think lemurs I last? I know. But still. Appa, I, Appa I, might be dead, too. Fucking... <laughs>
1: Why? Why? And Iroh is most certainly dead. He was almost dead the last time. So
2: I don't know. Do you, <laughs> see, how much, how good, you see what good a shape he was in at the end of last season? That's right. That's know. true. He was really He might,
1: he, he might still be doing like he's, one-handed
0: chin-ups. He's the Jack LaLanne of the Avatar world.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the last thing I would say about The Legend of Korra so far is that it really does seem like uh, – it's like the great sequel – that you you want but don't that you always want but don't necessarily get when it comes to these things uh where it's very clearly um carrying the torch of what came before but doing so in a way that uh is different explores a different angle of things and enriches what we already know and love about the world so i'm i'm extremely pleased with uh with these two episodes and i cannot wait to see more of the show
2: yeah, I'm. I'm so glad that you dug the first two episodes, Arlo. I um, I, I'm. I agree. Like, it's it is. It's what you want out of a sequel, if nothing else, in that it feels both of the world and of telling a different story at the same time. Yeah, which is which is what you want. Um, there one one really quick technical side note. I uh, Paul, you're probably better to confirm whether I'm just making this up or not. But is the music a lot more um uh, meticulously scored in yeah. this yes. show? Yeah.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean, well, there's the obvious difference of it's it's much more sort of like '20s jazz influenced as opposed to kind of the the I don't know the ancient Chinese instruments that we got from uh, Avatar. But it is um, I, I, meticulous is a good word. Yeah, I mean, I, I think each scene is is scored, with the exception of the series finale for Avatar. I think the scoring in Avatar was usually pretty loose.
2: But. Yeah. Yeah. The, this, this actually feels more of a piece with the series finale of Avatar than the rest of Avatar is yeah. actually what I was thinking.
0: Yeah. Uh, it's the same team, though. It's still the same. Uh, uh, the track team, I think, is what they go by.
2: Yeah. It sounds like the same. It doesn't sound like a different bit of music. It just sounds It sounds like they
0: have more money, yeah. frankly, yeah. is what it yeah, sounds yeah. like. Um, all right. So uh, that's two chapters down. Um, we are on our way. We are, uh, um, a, a quarter maybe of the way through the first season of the legend of Korra. <laughs> um, but you know, before we go out, uh, I'm super excited about this. We have some listener email. Oh, wow. So, uh,
1: I didn't think that was ever going to happen. Yeah. Well, it only took an entire full series of a television show for that to happen.
0: For real. For real. So, uh, um, Zach, AKA scud pie show. Um, wrote to us uh, and he said that uh, he had already commented to us on Twitter uh, about how some of the things that you said were the best comments I've heard to explain Zuko's actions at the end of book two. He doesn't elucidate what that was but I remember on Twitter his comment called you out Arlo. He congratulated you for having very insightful things to say about Zuko.
1: Ah oh, shucks. <laughs> uh
0: but he said he continues but what about Iroh? I think it was discussed how he seemed to have been quite a different person in the flashbacks of him uh during the siege against ba Sing Se. He must have had quite a life-changing adventure after the loss of his son. I assume this is when he gets into the White Lotus and stuff. What do you think was Iroh seemingly helping Zuko capture Aang in book 1? Oh, why was Iroh seemingly helping Zuko capture Ang? in book one, when by the end of book two, he has come out as siding with the Avatar. Some important points. It seems like he'd been a member of White Lotus for some time. Being against the Avatar seems like a no-no. And before discovering Aang, he very well may have thought the Avatar to be dead or non-existent. Seeing that the Avatar was real could have affected him more than we know. So I guess what he's asking is... Why
2: why was... Why was Iro helping out the Fire Nation
0: to in the beginning catch
2: the Avatar? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I have my opinions on this. Who wants to start with this? Arlo, you you were the insightful one for him previously, so I think maybe you should. Gosh, start. I
1: have I don't remember what I said at all. <laughs> um, wow, yeah it's it's been it's been it feels like it's been a very long time since I saw the first season of Avatar. Um, yeah that's that is a really good question. That is actually something I had not considered before um yeah i don't think i'm going to be the insightful one here eric what what did you think
2: i mean i think that what it comes down to is that iroh had one and um
1: maybe only one priority
2: in his life at that moment which was zuko yes and he was going to do whatever it took to stay close to zuko to make sure that zuko was safe and maybe one day even happy and so it was Whatever else was going on, whatever ideals Iroh had, Iroh was damaged by the loss of his son, and all he had left was his sort of like his uh, nearly adopted son in Zuko, and everything about what he was doing was totally on Zuko's behalf.
0: Yeah, I, I think um, when you're just watching Book One, uh, you may you might not notice. Uh, although I think if you rewatch, you can see like. Even in the first episode, Iroh was like, Zuko just wants to hunt the Avatar. And Iroh's like, why don't you sit down and have some duck soup or, you know, or let's listen to some music. You yeah, could his even...
1: heart never really seemed to be too into that.
0: Yeah, yeah. You could even see then that he was he, he was there for Zuko. And certainly in hindsight, as the show goes on and we get a little backstory on Iroh, I, I think it becomes clear that he was just doing whatever he had to do to stay with Zuko. In fact, if
2: I recall, and I think this is in season one, and, and not just only in later seasons, but I think it's also in season one, that Iroh is constantly nudging Zuko on the idea of what is it you think is going to happen when you do bring the Avatar back?
0: Mm-hmm, yeah.
2: How how much how happy do you think this is really going to make you, do you? Is this even what you really want? So he's kind of undermining Zuko's assumptions about what will make him happy I think even as far back as season one, I don't think it's quite as fun as forward as we get later, but I think that stuff's all I think it's already starting to happen
0: in book one. Yeah, I I agree. That's an Uh, awesome question. Yeah. So uh, thank you, Zach for uh, writing in and asking that. And um, he also, along with that, he sent a link to, uh, scud pie show rules so uh, i will i will we'll include this in the show notes and i just sent the link to you guys if you want to look at it he's actually um coming up with uh, a system of rules for how pie show works and i've looked over it uh and it's uh it's you know complex it looks <laughs> complex it's complex enough that i could imagine uh someone like iroh would be sort of a master strategist with it. So I like it. Is, it. I like that. That is awesome. really,
1: really cool. Yeah. And yeah, uh, thanks, Zach. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to have met you on Twitter, and thanks for sending in a question. That's awesome. All right. So uh, uh, the first Cora
0: chapters down. Uh, thank you, everybody at home, for joining us. As always, you can find links to this and all of our past episodes at our website, theavatarreturns.com. Links will also be posted on our parent show's site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes to make sure you never miss another exciting episode. And while you're there, be a hero and rate us or write us a review. Help spread the word. There's a huge fan base out there, and we're barely scratching the surface. Um, If you'd like to contact us, please send your correspondence to uh, <laughs> to tar podcast at gmail.com uh, and of course you can always find us on social media facebook.com slash the returns or twitter.com slash tar podcast and on twitter i am at haunt 1013 eric is at salon that's s-a-a-l-o-n and arlo is at unplugged crazy Uh, So next week, uh, two more chapters, uh, chapter 103, The Revelation, and chapter 104, The Voice in the Night. Uh, The Revelation, that's an intriguing title. Maybe you're going to learn some stuff. Uh, Until then, remember, the platypus bears have no Jews left, but Mako and Bolin are still fresh and juicy. When you're
2: alone
0: and life is making you lonely, you can always go.